today on Talent Savvy, we discuss the article, the boy bosses of Silicon Valley are on their way out, and what lessons that we as talent professionals can learn from this podcast. We talk about workforce planning, organizational design, and how talent teams can show value in this time that demands operational excellence. So we are so excited to have you with us and look forward to the show. Good morning and welcome to Talent Savvy, the podcast that inspires you and all things talent. Today, my name is Marlise and I'm joined here by the lovely Chantal and the lovely Matthias calling in from London, Germany and Canada respectively. Today, we're very excited to be discussing the article Boy Bosses of Silicon Valley are on their way out. Mateus, could you tell us a little bit about that article? Yeah, 100% money was available. And, you know, people and venture capitalists have, you know, sponsored this. We all have seen the Mark Zuckerbergs and the likes are, you know, um, the founders that built it and disrupted um, the space wherever we were. Um, now that we have seen over the course of time, yeah, we have seen it all. Berlin, London, around the world, layoffs are happening, meaning we have less money available, stock prices are falling down, and we are turning into more wartime CEOs, which literally means that we need people who have an operational excellence and understand how we can do more with less. And so this is in a really, really exciting time now to see that trend happening. And what does that mean for people and talent teams, right? So I think what we will prepare ourselves is how do we help C-level and executives to do that change? Yeah. How do we make sure that from an organizational design perspective, we can take some advantages and avoid scaling too fast and maybe more sustainable and not for the sake of putting bumps to the seat. So that is something that uh, I think will kick us off quite nicely. Great roundup there, Matthias, and uh, a really interesting article. I think one of the things with, with my TA hat on that jumped out to me was, yes, some, some scale-ups are bringing in wartime CEOs, but others are also looking at how they can have some of their executives step up and, and take control. And for me, that really pointed to it and got me thinking about how as TA we can better support in mentorship programs for seniors, how we should be thinking about future succession planning. And that kind of led me into, into workforce planning as well, you know, whether that's, you know, your, your, your C-suite or, or as you said, when you're growing sustainably, it is probably more important than ever to make sure that our workforce planning is aligned with budget and business strategic goals. Yeah, I think one of the things that really stands out to me is that I think during these times of plenty, we've really been able to grow our talent teams like very, you know, very significantly. And we saw a lot of specialization start to emerge in talent teams. But as talent teams get leaner, I think one of the trends we'll have to start seeing as we build out our teams is we'll probably be able to support less specialists and really need to hire a lot more generalists. So I can see that really being like a big trend going forward. But I'd be curious what you two think. Yeah, I think I agree that uh, it, it leads us back to a couple of conversations that we had already in the podcast. It's like, what is the KPI and how do we measure success of talent teams, right? I would argue if we have KPIs that were very transactional, 
recruiters make hires and that's pretty much it, then I'm totally with you. We need to get a better meaning into this, like in terms of, hey, somebody needs to think about employer branding. Hey, somebody needs to think about coaching and trainings to actually equip the business better in the way they assess people. Or as somebody needs to think about the quality for hire, how do we measure this, right? So there needs to be, if you are a very narrowed kind of talent team that is only focusing on hires, it's the time to evolve now and to look a little bit into what are the other topics that we can do. For example, onboarding experience, you know, get a little bit more exposure there, right? So I think one of the trends that I've started thinking about is that during the times of the pandemic, our teams got very big and we had a lot of specialization. And I've started thinking that we're going to need more generalists as teams get leaner and leaner. But I'd be curious what you two think. Yeah, I, I agree with you if you have a TA team that is only focusing uh, on transactional work. Let's say we have recruiters and the only thing that they do is, you know, making hires. But I think it's time to change that perspective and really go into like, hey, how do we build experiences? Yeah, how do we invest in employer brand? How do we coach and enable our business by delivering and conducting trainings on interviews, unconscious bias, et cetera, right? How do we think about the onboarding experience? Yeah, how, how much uh, power can we add there? What is it potentially in terms of quality per hire? Is there anything that is measured? Are we setting up the right standards? I think, yes, to that degree, talent acquisition need to look a little bit more into the topic of how do we add value? And it's not just moving candidates from A to B. It's also about talent pooling, for example. It's a great time to build talent pools, no? I mean, if you if you have an understanding of your repetitive roles in your organization over the course of time, start with that. Yeah, it's a, it's a very meaningful way to then figure out how do we nurture that. So yes, I think we need to think broader and it starts with leaders that enable teams to you know grow and learn from a very niche specialist to a more generalist set of KP, uh, skills. Yeah, I completely agree with, with both of you. And every time I've tried to build um, a, a talent team, I've always tried to operate with an 80-20 role with 20% of that team actually being able to turn their hand to a more generalist role and doing things like onboarding, recruitment, marketing, simply to safeguard us a little bit better and, and to make sure as a function that we're offering more value than just to Matei's statement earlier, bums on seat. Um, I think it's it's very easy to bloat a team through specialisms and 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 do get hurt and do feel pain when we go through recessions when we have awful experiences such as the pandemic and hopefully if what we've learned from from COVID was actually we need to offer more and we can offer more and we and we should be offering more as a function you know we shouldn't just be order takers who just fill hires and wrecks we should be able to go to C suite and say you know, here's some intelligence, here's data, here's what we're doing with our branding, which actually is leading to more consumers. So hopefully, although a turbulent time, it's now a time where we can actually flex and really showcase to our businesses the, the value and, and the power that, that we can bring outside of delivering recs. Like you two, I completely agree. I think people in talent acquisition have skill sets like that are far beyond just bringing people in. We have to be marketers, we're writers, we do all sorts of things. But how would we advise recruiters who maybe aren't seen that way at their company today to start showing the value if their organization doesn't see it already? 
because I think all three of us on this call know that we bring value beyond just bringing people in. I also think it's an amazing time to slow down and evaluate processes, look at data and make things better. But if I'm a recruiter at a company who just sees me as an order taker, what what are a couple of things that I could do to change that? Yeah, I mean, ideally, hopefully, if you have a lead, then it would, would start with that person. But if you don't, and if you are a lonely wolf in that sense, what I would recommend is have conversations with your people team, maybe. Start with that. What are their problems? What are their, their worries? Then start the conversation with the executives around, or the, the most senior person that you work with, let's put it like this, right? To say, hey, what is something that you want from me? What we need to do? What is it that we can do? Because I feel sometimes we shouldn't really like look at our best practices and then and enforce them on organizations. First of all, we need to understand and listen you like a discovery a scenario around what are actually the needs of our organization, of our stakeholders? What is it that we could do? And then you would probably easily identify that people are like, yeah, you know what? I don't know if my team is actually capable of interviewing. I would love such a training. How can we do this? Or people would be like, hey, you know what? I'm always getting the wrong offers or onboarding is not cool or the relocation process is not really set in stage and let's work on that as well right and then also have the conversation with your you know chief, chief uh, chro or chief people officer in order to say where can we go next because i think these conversations will lead to something meaningful and then you should go back and ask your network how can we fix those problems right as a, a lonely person um, that is something that i would recommend to you i completely agree and and i was going to to, to mention community, I think that that's a big piece where we can go and, and and ask for case studies and ask how others have added value and and take that story and take that narrative back to, you know, depending on your infrastructure, whoever needs to hear that. And if you are an independent recruiter who reports directly into an ops director or a CEO, take those real life case studies because I think social proof is really powerful. And if they're hearing what other people within their market or industry are doing, then I think that may whet the appetite and create buy-in as well. We also need to always bring it back to commercials. We always, you know, it's great to answer pain points, but if we can't communicate the impact of getting rid of those pain points or bottlenecks, you won't get buy-in. So when you do and have the conversations that uh, Matthias has rightly said to go and do, make sure you tie it back to commercials. Are you saving money? Are you making money? Are you saving time? These are things that, you know, that C-suite ops directors are always looking to hear. If you can tie back any projects to that, they will probably get on board. I think like that's a really good point. And I think another point is to make sure your talent strategy is really tied to organizational strategy. So again, if the organization has like specific OKRs and you can tie the work that your talent team is doing to like organizational level OKRs, if you do report to more of a talent leader or a CEO, like I used to at my past startup, you're going to be able to demonstrate value. I think another one is collect as much data as you can or find the data that you can use to back up what you're doing. Again, if you're reporting to a CEO or somebody in ops, they're going to value that significantly. Yeah. I think also think about data 
uh, when you talk about what is the perfect KPI for you, think about a KPI that is not supporting a transactional use case that you have been doing already, right? But think about also maybe employee lifetime value, right? So how do I ramp up people faster or make them stay longer, right? What are the initiatives that we can support there that it puts your action into a bigger picture? I'm also going to go in with some rogue advice as well, especially if you are currently on a slowdown with with growth and hires. For me, I am a big believer in do something and ask for forgiveness later. If mm. if you're quiet in your hires, take as mentioned earlier, take the time out to completely rewrite your job descriptions. Take the time out to create new workflows in the ATS and set up automations. Put a candidate experience survey in and, and survey your recent people. Do some projects, do some side projects whilst you are quiet. And then going back to that data, showcase what that impact those projects have had. I do that time and time again. You know, sometimes it, it speed to show your own value is really important. If we're being real here, some people's jobs are at stake or could be at stake. You've got to play big. Do some projects, run with it, and then show the people who need to see it the impact it's had. It's a bit of rogue advice, but you know that's it's got me. It's got me so so far in life, so it works. <laughs> I think it's awesome advice. I do the same. Like I think there's so many things that we never have time to do in our departments because if we're hiring a lot, this is the time to do it all <laughs> and to really you know take a look and make things better. Like, you know, how we're talking, going back to the article about how we're, you know, Mateus was saying, bringing in operational excellence. If your talent function isn't currently operating at operational excellence, do a data cleanup, do whatever you haven't been able to do to allow you to get more excellent in the future. So I think this is actually like an amazing opportunity to do everything you've dreamed about doing, but you were like, well, I've just never had the capacity. You do now. I really recommend for anyone who hasn't seen it, Bill Borman's talk at RecFest this year in July, because that's exactly kind of the narrative that he was saying as well. Use this as an opportunity to mature your people function. So a good shout out there. It's really worth listening to. I think it's on like it's free to watch on the RecFest website. So yeah, like some really good intel there about you know this is somebody who's weathered a lot of a lot of storms so there's some really great advice on what you can do to as you say like create best practice but also showcase value during these turbulent times and i think there's even a blog post on that as well i think you wrote did put this in writing and shared it as well i think we can you know um add this blog post later on after the podcast so that people can you know click on it as well Oh, awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I was just curious, we're, we're going back going back to that article, what do you think of the CEOs who, who are leaving and, and starting new ventures? Do you have like an opinion on, I mean, we, we focused on what's happened to the companies when they leave, but we haven't really spoken about the CEOs or leaving. Like, what, what are your thoughts here? Yeah. I mean, the question is, are they going to come back or are they earned enough money to just say, okay, that was it for me. Um, I, I, you know, I made impact, and now I'm gone. I think it's good, and it is probably a bigger picture again of how do you make tech startups or startups in general more successful? Yeah, how do you scale that? Because what I think, what we have seen so far, 
don't kid ourselves, most of the startups are not making it, are not surviving, right? And maybe because there was cheap money on the market due to the pandemic as well, and a lot of people spend it on startups, we kind of invested into startups that should never been invested on, right? Because of their poor business model, which then prolongs their lifetime. But now that they probably customized or optimized for the pandemic working environment and suddenly this is over again, they are in trouble. So what I'm trying to say here is I think I think it's good to get exposure to the C-level and show them what are the risks of executing plans, what is scaling, what is a helpful or a sustainable scaling approach. What I sometimes catch with smaller organizations is because they are first-time CEOs or first-time CTOs, right? They don't understand the complexity and then start, you know, oh, I have a great candidate. Let's just do a reorg and make it work for that candidate, even if the whole reorg or the org structure would not make sense. And it actually prevents you to hire other talents because of that. So I think this organizational development piece is something that I have not seen as much anymore. And I saw a trend actually where talent acquisition teams become also people partner at the same time. Yeah, so that the uh, people partner, the Asia business partner concept is actually taken over by talent to then literally play a role in that as well. That's really interesting. Could you tell us a little bit more about that? I don't know if I've seen that before. So what they literally do is like talent acquisition and HR business partners are one team. And so what they're doing is you could now say, okay, you want, I want my recruiters to come from a recruiter to a talent advisor or like an acquisition partner, right? However you want to define this and then say, we are all, because we know so much of how candidates work, working environments of other organizations, what their actual job is, we can then help in terms of, okay, listen, uh, in organizations like that in the market right now, this is how they would set it up. And organizations sometimes struggle, right? Because if they are growing, they don't know what is the right approach. Should this department be in, let's say, let's put, let's take internal IT. Should internal IT be in engineering or should it be in operations? Or should it even be under under, uh, under the people team? Yeah. So how do you do this? How do you work with this? And that is something which I think we could leverage based on the knowledge we gain from the market and the conversations we have with candidates to then surface and say, look, these are the three or four options that I know. This is my network. This is how they have done it. And then give them guidance, especially if they're first time C as executives, to give them some use cases of how it works, right? And then they can still make a decision to go this way or the other. But I think if we do organizational design just because on one experience I have with a candidate, that's very dangerous. Where would you point people to go to to learn about org design? Because as, as you say, traditionally, it would sit in HR. Yeah. And I agree with you, there is a, a blend certainly coming. But for people who don't necessarily get that exposure and can learn through osmosis, is there anywhere people can go and learn or any, any influences on LinkedIn they should follow? What would be your advice to people who want to learn this part? I think what I would do, there are two things. I think, first of all, let's say if you have those specialist people, tech recruiters, tech recruiters most of the time have an understanding how engineering departments are set up in organizations, right? So literally one goes without the other. So there's always a close connection. But what I would do is 
I would not take it away if it already exists in one team and say, oh, it needs to be in talent, right? Uh, don't do that. But like if, if there is a lack in your organization that this knowledge does not exist, I think one of the things that I would always do and start with a conversation with your leaders around that is um, in your organization is how do you go from where you are right now and what does the future of your organization look like? Yeah, from this is status quo, this is future state. And then ask those questions in order to why are you doing it the way we're doing it, right? And suddenly you get a certain sense of where there is an issue and then you just benchmark it, right? So you benchmark it with other people. And I would not go like, this is a learning topic. It's easy to just benchmark and start benchmarking it. And then to a certain point, you will talk about maturity models that people have, or you talk about, you know, organizational growth has so much to do with succession planning. Yeah. So in the end, if we are designing the way we are hiring and we are killing off career paths for people because we're doing it like that, then this is an issue. Sometimes I think when people think about hiring plans, they don't look into, oh, what does that do to my people that I have on board, right? So it's this broader picture of connecting the dots, which is already helping people to do a better job in that. I think if people want more structured education, I've taken some really great courses through the Human Capital Institute. And earlier this summer, I took like a two-day certification in workforce planning. And I think they have ones in organizational design. I think one of the unique advantages that people in talent use every day is an understanding of human motivation and psychology, kind of building on what Mateus was saying. So when we think about organizational planning, going to that point of what does this do to internal people? Talent actually has the data from talking to candidates to understand what brought people to this organization. What are candidates like this looking for? I think also this can be a really great opportunity for people in talent to see if they can support their people department or, you know, to that point, maybe not replacing them in organizational planning, but becoming a part of the team and partnering. I think one of the things when I used to work in Europe, I found that in Europe more than in Canada, for example, that talent and people are seen like as different departments. When I was at my last startup, I did it all mm. <laughs> where I feel like here there's a little bit more of a blend. So except at like big organizations like I'm at now, but at small organizations, like the teams often are collaborating on a variety of projects I bet your people operations team is tired and busy. This is a great opportunity to shadow and learn skills from them and to get involved in some of the projects where you add unique value. You understand what your employees want because you helped bring them in. Mm. Yeah, so I, th I think some really good points there. And uh, during, uh, during COVID, what a lot of the TAs in the UK got involved with in terms of with their people ops or HR was internal mobility piece like sadly a lot of redundancies had to be made but it meant there was quite a big skill gap when we were then on the on the pathway to recovery so it, it may even be we could look one step further and go right we know we're going to be making you know losses and cuts here when we do grow what skills are gone let's start planning it now as opposed to being reactive and you're right the people ops or HR will definitely need assistance. And I think you're so right in terms of that the TAs are in a great place to really support that. 
Yeah, and one example to back up your point is um, Zalando did this during the crisis when they were saying, okay, we might have an issue. We don't need all of our talent team anymore. Um, they moved them around for projects for three to six months, and then they needed them back. So that is really, really a great opportunity because in that way, if you do it in a structured way, you can gain more skills during that time and then come back again, right? So I think that's also what we have seen in pandemics or crisis that suddenly we lay off talent teams, marketing teams, and six months or nine months later, we hire them back again, which is completely nonsense to a certain extent because you know that it takes longer, you lose the wrong people, et cetera, et cetera, right? Yeah, I think um, some Canadian startups like move people and talent to other departments. And again, going to that transferable skill set that I think most talent people have, if sales needs help, there's no reason that talent couldn't do like a rotation in sales. And like, it may not be your first choice, but you could help your business add value in another way. Or, you know, move to marketing and kind of help. Again, we know a lot about candidates and like, what people know about the organization. So I think I really hope, you know, even if teams aren't thinking about this, if you see hiring slowing down and you see other areas of your organization that need assistance, don't be afraid to either talk to your manager or see if there's some way you can collaborate with that team to add business value, even if it's not, again, bringing people in directly. Or be the person to even bring up an internal mobility project and really spearhead it. Like, what an amazing piece of work to to, to run with, um, you know, and, and really help your business. Yeah, re- really good advice. I love the internal mobility piece too, because again, you can tie that back to so many things. It's a way to use your talent acquisition skill set. It's a way to flex like a little bit more of that people muscle. And it's a way to, again, use that, psychology piece where you say to your your people team people came here wanting growth opportunities because it's a slow time we don't have necessarily upward growth but we could like create rotation we can get people exposed to other roles because they came here for growth and I know that because I talk to candidates as part of my job right again bringing that value that you're able to bring in like a slower fast time yeah, definitely. And you, you could even help by assessing the skill set. So if you were to, to create rotations, you still as a business need to understand who can go where, who who will work well with what teams, what needs that person particularly has as well. So you can almost do like an internal skills matrix and, and then feed it into that internal mobility to make sure that those rotations work really well. Yeah, 100% agree with that because that was on my mind as well. How can you then maybe create a, a skill overview of your organization? And then so many organizations sometimes don't know that. And that makes you stronger by building that skill set in order to understand where our skill gaps, what is possible. And then this is the core foundation of uh, what you can do in terms of uh, moving people around. And maybe another advice would be, you know, think about sometimes organizations grow so fast and they don't have that performance models, right? So 
what is a junior, mid-level, senior, how do we differentiate this, put some work in there and maybe use the performance criteria for internal development also to your recruitment assessment and may build better scorecards and be more aligned. And like, you know, when I bring on people, we hire for the same criteria as we develop people and you measure their performance in the future. So I think there's lots of uh, work that can be done there to be much more precise in terms of increasing the quality per hire in the end. What would both of your advice be? If, if somebody wanted to go, if, if somebody felt inspired by that and said, yeah, I want to take a, a holistic view on the business skill sets and gaps and how we can put rotation in, what would be your advice? Where, where would you start with something like this if you were new to it? I would say, well, first of all, look at, you have a lot of information already on the top of your hands, right? Which means we have job descriptions, we have an understanding of profiles, and then I would take one and just break it down and understand what are actually the skills that we are doing. Like a lot of people are looking or talking about skill assessment, but how many people are actually doing this, right? <laughs> so they're just selecting people on resumes or whatever, right? Or years of working experience is super important, which is nonsense. So I think I would start there and then take maybe even your own team to start off with this, role model this on your own and then say, would that be of interest? Yeah, it's just something that, that we can do as well. I think sometimes when we are talking about these concepts, we forget about doing it on our own. Yeah, or for example, when we talk about DNI efforts and then suddenly, well, how diverse are we actually in our team? So starting with yourself, I think, and then, you know, um, try to talk to leaders if they are interested in that. I would take a look at what you have internally. Like there may be things that you don't know about. If you're at a larger organization, or an organization with an HR business partner, book a meeting with them and ask if they have something like this already. See if there's internal resources. If there aren't, do a little research on like, you know, building like competency maps. Levels dot, or not levels, uh, there's some great resources out there. I'm blanking on some of the names on how to build like competency maps from the ground up. If you do a little Googling, you'll definitely find them. And again, do it for your team first. If there's no competency map already, if there aren't really robust job descriptions tied to competencies, and I hope there are, but if there aren't, <laughs> this can be an opportunity as well. Or take those job descriptions and break it down and connect the competencies because look at the teams that have been growing or hiring. But I think we should probably start wrapping it up. So if we all have one thing that we think that people should take away from this podcast, what do we want it to be? Chantelle, I'll pass it to you first. Oh, no pressure there. <laughs> For me, the one thing to take away from this is your mindset. Your mindset right now, this is such a good opportunity to broaden your skill set and to showcase to your business that you are more than delivering recs. And I think that's super exciting. Cheesy, but that's my one point. I, I totally agree. I think what the key takeaway is, if you don't have a focus on your operational excellence and what that looks like, start investigating into this and start reflecting if you are already longer in the organization of what did not go well over the course of time. And um, then you probably have enough data to say, well, listen here, these are the things that we are you know, trying to do now. I think it was a really good approach of what both of you said, the side projects, do it, gather data, you know, and then just run with it. And if you have a good business case around it, I don't think people would say no to it. Yeah, totally agree. And then I guess mine would be 
you know, the boy bosses are out, but there's still a way to add value and find out how that is for you and your organization, which is going to be different depending on your organization, your stage and things like that. So whether it's adding side projects or even helping other departments that are underwater, talent teams have the skills to add value. So thank you so much for joining us today, everybody. And we'll see you next week on Talent Savvy. Thanks, everybody.